O Holy Spirit, may your word alone be spoken and heard through Jesus our Lord. Amen. I think, and I'm afraid, that I have an aptitude for witchcraft. (laughs) Because when I'm around children under six years old, I get them to behave by magical threats. If they squabble over a toy, I make it disappear. I say that I poof it, and it goes somewhere out of sight. A couple of weeks ago, we had three young cousins under five visiting, and they quickly learned that I would poof the fishing nets if they argued over them. So when they started to argue over the grand piano, (laughs) I said, if you two don't stop arguing, I'm going to have to poof the piano. I stood up and raised my arms in the air as if to poof the grand piano. And they both jumped off the bench and stood well away from the piano and looked at me with awe and fascination, waiting the magical act in some fear that I might poof them as well. (laughs) My magic act worked, as many magic rituals do, and they stopped squabbling. Children under six don't yet have the rational worldview that we call reality in the Western world. But adult humans over the centuries and in many countries throughout the world believe in and practice magic. It competes with medicine in places such as India and Africa. And I think I know that I harbor a fear and fascination with magic. And I actually feared that God might poof me after preaching this sermon. Because magic and religion have a lot in common. I've long been interested in the similarities and differences between magic and religion, trying to weed out my own magical thinking, not always successfully, and my magical expectations. Religion and magic often serve the same function, both in the human mind and in societies, namely social control, lowering anxiety, solving intractable problems, and just doing something in a time of crisis. Both magic and religion function by means of ritual and belief, rather than by scientific application of rational knowledge. And both magic and religion supposedly operate in the realm of the supernatural and are surrounded by an atmosphere of the miraculous. The main difference is that magic is fake or superstitious. That doesn't mean it can't be effective. And it is not necessarily evil. Think of Santa Claus. A placebo can trigger your immune system to heal. And rain dances lower anxiety. Magic is a superficial and often selfish fix. Religion, on the other hand, involves the depth of the focus of our entire lives and of the whole universe. Religion is, to a believer, the very ground of reality 
which affects every cell in our bodies and every moment of our lives, if we let it. I think a pretty clear example is the ritual of baptism, which is not magic, although many people act as though it were. The ritual and the water and the words do not in themselves affect or achieve forgiveness, reconciliation, and rebirth. It expresses in the, baptism expresses in the context of a community forgiveness, reconciliation, and rebirth. If the ritual were all that would happen, it would be empty, like a magic spell that doesn't work. Baptism works to renew the baptized if the family follows up by bringing up the child to church school, to learn the traditions and Bible stories, and to witness adults who practice forgiveness, morality, and responsible caring. The initiation, the baptism, must be followed by the practical connection to the real world, to reality. Now, I believe in Christian healing, and I've spoken, preached, taught, and prayed for healing for individuals and myself for many years. But Christian healing is not magic. Many people expect and hope it will be magic. Sometimes we wish it were. But healing was and is an essential part of the ministry of Jesus and therefore the church. Because people who are in pain or anxiety or don't feel well cannot focus on the good news Jesus taught. He realized that healing the body must often but come first, but wholeness does not end there. Wholeness is spiritual as well as physical. Well, let's take the case of Jairus' little daughter. When she got sick, Jairus came to Jesus for help, and Jesus responded, not by magical healing, but by showing them that their fears were unfounded. The child was not dead, only sleeping. They were mistaken. He simply changed their mistaken perception. But as we think about this story, we're aware there are many other parents who also prayed to Jesus. Countless people, probably most of us here today, have prayed at one time or another for a miracle, for magic, and have discovered that magic is not what is promised. What is promised is God's love and presence in all circumstances, even the most tragic. What is promised is the power of the community to embody God's love. The other healing in today's gospel is the woman who suffered hemorrhages for 12 years, who was healed simply by touching Jesus' garment. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This was not magic either. He said her faith made her well and that she should go and be healed. Her own body knew how to be healed. Jesus knew he was not a magician. Remember the story of the temptation in the wilderness when Satan challenged Jesus to use magical means to use his powers, which were he was aware of. Jesus answered, 
Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word from the mouth of God. And then he answered to Satan, it is written, do not put the Lord to the test. He was a human being of deep knowledge and trust and connection to the creator, the source of love whom he called father. One of the best books on faith healing was written by a Jewish medical doctor, Herbert Benson of Harvard Medical School. And Christian healing certainly includes medicine. In his book, Timeless Healing, he uses the phrase remembered wellness to describe the ability of our bodies to heal anything from a cut to cancer. He says, your body, like all human bodies on the planet, and all that have come before you is designed to remember and revive health and well-being. You have always had a resource within you to affect your health, whether you made spiritual use of it or not, optimal use of it or not. But healing is more than physical health. Wholeness, healing, is remembering the love that created us that we are a small part of a great creation. And the amazing news, which Jesus deeply knew and felt, that God of the vast galaxies also cares for every individual part. Each animal, every bird cares about me. He cares about you. Healing is remembering that good news, which we constantly forget, that God hears you, knows you, loves you, because you are indelibly connected to God. You and me, with all our limitations, our illnesses, our sins, our grave misunderstandings, our blindness and our forgetfulness are cherished by the beauteous power of the Creator who wants us to love her. At the healing bench every Sunday during communion, you are invited to come and ask God for healing, wholeness and sanity for yourself and for others and for our world. We are trained, and Trent will be there this morning, to remind you that God can handle your wounds. We help you awaken with more power to your connection to the Holy Spirit. It's not a superficial fix, but a reminder that the Holy Spirit is working within you if you let it. Christian healing is the integration of the self with the sacred. Does that mean if you pray to God to take away your wound or illness that you will have a magical cure? No, it means that if you engage with God in sincere prayer today, your life will begin to be more connected to purposes greater than your individual life, which is a relief and a hope. The integration of the self with the sacred. I believe the families of Emmanuel AME Zion Church in Charleston, South Carolina, had achieved significant integration of their souls and minds with the sacred 
before the tragic murders of their loved ones. The Reverend Norval Goff said from the pulpit last Sunday, a lot of people expected us to do something strange and break out in a riot. Well, they just don't know us. We are a people of faith. Through God's grace and community practice and study, they internalized the gospel message of forgiveness, which will eventually, in time, heal themselves and heal their community. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hurt you. That demonstrates the integration of the self with the sacred. And what are we about to do here in this Holy Communion? I'm very aware that to an outsider, Holy Communion looks like magic. But to us, it's practicing and praying for our integration of ourselves with the sacred and practicing the promise of the heavenly banquet. We are, in a symbolic way, integrating our bodies with God's body and blood and offering our souls and bodies. Holy Communion is designed to integrate us with the sacred. It is a healing ritual, but it is not magic. The ritual can be superficial or even unconscious if our mind is somewhere else and we don't take it seriously. We ought to approach the rail, not only with reverence, but with the intention to let our own lives be renewed for sharing the good news and helping to heal the brokenness of our society. Perhaps in small ways, but every day in some way. We come to the feast like a family, sharing our common loves and a common mission. Perhaps sometimes it lasts only for a few hours or a few minutes, but we can profoundly begin our intention to experience the promise. Forgiven, awakened, connected, nourished, and healed. As Jesus prayed in Gethsemane, if it be possible, let this cup of suffering pass from us, but thy will, not mine. That is Christian healing. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen.